0: This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today, we are visiting with a fellow podcast host and beekeeper. She promotes and shares tips for sustainable beekeeping practices from her apiary in North Carolina. She's gained an impressive audience in the short time that she's produced her show. We're a little excited to talk with each other, and we do get sort of carried away. Joining us via video call, please welcome Lee Diggs from Beekeeping at Five Apple
1: Farm. Hi there, Mandy. Hello.
0: <laughs> you have such a unique, Engagement with your listeners. That's something that I totally admire about your podcast and you as a host.
1: Well, that kind of has been a surprise to me because I was a big podcast listener, but I have never written or talked to a podcaster until I started my own. And now I like to write people and go, wow, that was a great show, or wow, I loved it. Because now I know when you get those letters or notes or text that it's really fun. It keeps you going. I haven't even thought about um, this part, but uh, I think beginners in particular have trouble finding good answers unless they happen to have a good mentor, which I keep telling people it is worth the effort. It's worth the pain in the butt to go find them and drive to their house and put up with whatever idiosyncrasies they have. Because what I found was you know, I read everything. I'm a, I'm real OCD that way. So I read everything. Um, It was kind of pre YouTube. So I didn't watch so many YouTube things. And then I would go over to a beekeeper who was a pro who'd been in it for years and I would watch them work through a hive and go, oh, my God, that's how you do that thing. That's how you make that so easy. That's how you smoothly set that down without crushing bees. That's how you move the, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's just you catapult yourself. And so the, I really encourage people to do that. But um, what I find is there's just a ton of people who have not found that yet, and they want somebody that they feel like is reliable to ask questions too. And um, I don't mind that. I mean, I tell them up front very clearly, there's a ton of stuff I cannot answer for you in your uh, particular place, especially out West, you know, because it's, it's so different or way down South, you know, anything radically different from um, kind of the mid-Atlantic. But it's, I think they reach out just to have an answer that they feel like this is fairly reliable um, mm-hmm. because for some reason that seems very difficult for people to get.
0: I'm finding more and more that I don't want to be involved in Facebook groups for beekeeping or online forums for beekeeping because of the arguing. And there is a lot of misinformation. And I I think maybe that's what people find so attractive about podcasts because it's, it's not just something that you can quickly pass along or, or, you know, somebody's taking the time to sit down and talk about a subject with somebody who has experience in that.
1: I agree with you. The Facebook, <laughs> I try really hard. I try, There are several of them, and I will let them go nameless, that I have really tried to stay um, present in, if not terribly engaged, just because on one hand, I've made some really cool acquaintances on there people that i look forward to seeing what they're doing with their bees or that have you know people that build cool things and you get to see how it works so on one hand that's really nice but i say that from a place of pretty much being able to weed out what is just stupid you know because after you've done it a while you know with your own eyes <laughs> that like totally isn't going to work or that's a total wrong answer or that's not what the person was asking but my heart goes out to people and I <laughs> I recommend that people don't go on there as if they're new because, I don't know, it just, to me, it's, um. there's a lot of no-win information. A lot of it's incorrect yeah. and a lot of it would be correct if you lived in Florida and it was June, but given that you live in Michigan and it's September is totally incorrect, you know, so that, it drives me crazy. And, you know, the... <laughs> on a personal level. And that's, uh, this is funny since I give advice all the time on the podcast about bees, but, but I guess my premise is if, if, if a person's tuning in, they want to hear thoughts about bees, but I'm amazed on Facebook that, that people don't just go ballistic and just block everybody because they'll just make a comment. Like um, someone that I enjoy talking to, who's a very experienced um, beekeeper. I can't remember what the question was, but she asked a question a very specific question on a group hoping to, to find some information about, I believe it was about like a a queen breeder, the name of a queen breeder in a certain region, you know, almost instantly 22 people wrote back and go, you should only get local queens, you know, or, or they had, you should let your bees re-queen. And it's, it was kind of comical because this person knows all that and the people don't, answer the question that she wanted which was does anybody know the name or has anybody had it so yeah facebook groups man yeah there's
0: yeah. a lot of assumptions and then i i've found sometimes i will just post something not asking a question not asking for advice but i get flooded with that that same thing well you should be doing this oh you can't do that it's like that's not why I posted this. I just posted this to share what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Like this is my dog. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah, it, you know?
0: <laughs> Don't tell me what flea treatment to use on her. Okay. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. But, that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, that has been the place that I've found um, so many listeners for the podcast because I, I found pretty immediately that, Beekeepers don't instantly think of podcasts, you know, to, as a place five. for information.
0: There aren't a whole lot of beekeeping podcasts.
1: No, there's like, I'd say probably five that are active, maybe. five. Well, maybe five, eight. Um, I love Beekeeper's Corner, but mm-hmm. he's, not, I, he's not been doing much. Yeah. This, I think he's busy. And then, um, uh, and then I love When I Found Yours. And then Beekeeping Today... Uh I I enjoy it sometimes. Of course, it's, you know, uh, I don't know, it's kind of got a little bit of a less personal feel maybe than like your
0: podcast. Yeah. It was really important to me to make people feel like they were part of the discussion or, you know, they're with me. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I don't send out a list of questions to my guests beforehand. I mean, I've had people ask for that. I'm like, well, I can give you a general idea, but I always want to see where the conversation will go and what kind of chemistry we have together. And I don't want it to be structured and rigid like that.
1: You just do that to freak OCD people like me out. <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just but so no, everyone really. knows, I did not send Lee any questions ahead of time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the truth is, if you had, I would have like obsessed about them, so it's it's fine to it's fine to wing it. So.
0: One of the episodes that I really enjoyed you do was when you were talking about having EFB appear in one of your bee yards and how devastating it was. Like, it hurt your feelings and it made you feel bad.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, in, in beekeeping, I, I got really lucky starting off. And in hindsight, I realized how much luck was involved as opposed to skill. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> You know, my very first colony, when I bought a package, uh, I was living in the Ozarks, um, I installed it into one eight-frame medium box because everybody told me, put them in one brood box. Well, I was using eight-frame medium, so I'm like, I'll put them in one box. Well, of course, they looked around and went, this is not going to work, and they absconded three <laughs> days later. So that was the first tears I shed over bees as <laughs> I watched my first package fly away. Oh. And um, of course, you know my partners there going, "Look, it's amazing! Look at them go! Look at them go!" And I'm like, "Stop! Stop! This is terrible!" So, um, but so that those were the first tears I shed. But um, but after that, uh, and this is you know a benefit of being in a bee club, the president of the bee club there took pity on me because he knew how hard I had prepared and um, how how hard I had worked to study. So he said he would call me the next time he caught a swarm. And it was just a couple weeks of sadness. And then he called and he said, now, look, I've got a little swarm. He said, it's small. I don't know if they're going, you know, they'll really make it, but, you know, bring your stuff and we'll get them. So it was it was uh, on the edge of a forest in um, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And we got him. He, he got him in the box. We we shot a bear. <laughs> <He> <laughs> and so I my job was to go back that night and close him up and bring him home. And I did. Well, it turned out that swarm was phenomenal. I mean, they just went gangbusters. They were fairly sweet, not as sweet. Now I know there's sweeter bees in the world, but um, <laughs> they, um, you know, they went gangbusters. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm back in business. And that same first year, I'm like, oh, but you know, I can't go into winter with just one. So I bought a nucleus from a guy there who sold nucleus colonies. And so the first winter, they died. And my little swarm was just going strong, and so the first—I guess because you know—with a background um, from childhood, I've loved to propagate things. Like when I was a little kid, you know, I had a guinea pig. Well, the first thing I wanted to do is have more guinea pigs, <laughs> and I had a very tolerant grandmother. And then, you know, I got obsessed with wow, I think I could raise and breed smaller guinea pigs. So I was doing selective breeding. You know, oh at, at age ten, you know, I, right? I was so. <laughs> I was fascinated by by all that and um you know if when I had chickens the first thing I wanted to do is raise more chickens and you know can I get a better chick you know that's just uh how it is so luckily luckily so the first um spring that my little swarm came through uh, the first thing I wanted to do was learn to split and so I did all these I did, you know read and read and studied and read and talked to my mentor again on you know on the phone and thought I had it down I did splits and it was a disaster because I. It was probably a bad weather thing, but like none of them took. You know, so I had to recombine and start all over again. Oh. Um, but but I, you know, I got that. It it started happening, and that was the key. I mean, once I got to where I could make more bees, then it it was rolling because um you know then if you you know, accidentally make yourself 10 new hives and you don't have that much equipment, then you pick the best ones, you know, and you combine the others. And so what happened accidentally was I started off with really great stock and then I started instantly making more bees. So, you know, the first winter, um, if I I can't remember what, what my losses were, I didn't have bad losses at all for years. And
0: that's so lucky. (laughs) Right. It's like you
1: you think maybe you're doing something special and right. And of course, then life and bees, they humble you, you know, they humble you really quick. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I I did everything that I've been doing, but yet only half my bees survived, you know. And so the the key, I think, to uh, my beekeeping was learning early and quick to raise more bees. Um, just because I wanted to, but it turns out that in my opinion, that's the key. Then, then once you get humbled, you go back to the drawing board and well, luckily I did because I think a lot of people give up and um, that's what the, you know, is so sad. But I went back to the drawing board. I'm like, okay, you know, what's working? What's not? How can I insure myself against if I have another uh, bad winter and um, just doing it over and over And so then, you know, I had another stretch of luck and it was just going great again, you know, and, and then EFB showed up in my yard and I was just stunned because it's like, I live in the middle of nowhere. It's, um, you know, I am so lucky that I don't have any beekeepers uh, in flight range. And so I was just stunned at where this could have, of course, now I know, you know, it's just out there in the environment, but, um, but I was, interestingly, you know, there was one line of bees and because, um, you know, I, I know exactly every hive, I know what their lineage is, uh, even though, you know, they've crossed, (laughs) but I was able to see that there was one line of bees that I loved. um, And they were some, some, basically some old, you know, Appalachian line of bees that had been here a long time and someone had given me some, um, they showed signs of the EFB. And, you know, there, and, and of course, a friend of mine who's more experienced, well, oh man, you know, it's going to, you're probably going to have it uh, in a, it, it, she, he prepared me to see it in a bunch of my hives and I was just in horror. Wow. Um And then it didn't, you know, it, it stayed in the, um I mean, a, it stayed in the two hives that, that I saw it in. Um, and I, I went through all of the, the kind of European method um, because um, I did not want to use antibiotics. And I'd also read enough about the that it wasn't, a lot of times it just covered up the illness rather than got rid of it. So I, at the time I was um, certified naturally grown and you can't use um, antibiotics and retain that certification. So it, that was a real learning experience. And, you know, it just, based just, if you get any Cockiness going, they'll let you go with it for a while, and then they just cut you down to size. They do, (laughs) they totally do. (laughs) Yeah, um, but, um, but you know, I on the upside of that, it gave me a whole new, um, experience. On, I, I mean, and it was the first time I had ever been kind of, you know, scared of a frame of comb in the sense of in the past, I'd been sort of very liberal about, oh, let's put this comb over here and this comb over here and balance, you know, equalizing, uh, you know, size and all this kind of stuff. And that really, it was like, whoa, you know, I mean, I marked every frame, um, anything that had brood in it, I just threw it away um, and uh, shook out all the bees onto fresh comb that I was hoping, you know, hope this is clean comb. And um, so it, it was a good reminder about infection control. And I, I, of course I did that bad thing where you have, you know, multiple variables. So I don't know if it was a combination, but I, I requeened with a line of bees that were supposedly very disease resistant. And it turns out that I believe they, they were. And, um, and I got rid of all the brood combs and started them out. I fed them, which was the, um, suggestion that my inspector, the first suggestion that he had given me was to, to feed them. And so knock on wood, those two colonies, they went into winter strong and they're still kicking. So every warm day. So I I hope they're past it. You know,
0: (gasps) how frightening though.
1: Yeah. One thing, like when I did talk to the, the local, we have a great inspector and um, he has started a new podcast. I don't know if you have heard it. It's called The Well-Managed Hive.
0: Yes. you. Uh, I heard about it through you actually. And so I've subscribed. I have to say though, I love podcasting, but I'm terrible at listening to podcasts. Oh. <laughs> I I have like, I don't know, maybe half an hour a day where I can just... Sit and listen to something without getting interrupted.
1: Yeah, mine is always driving time. You know, I have a thirty-minute drive to work, and so that's almost perfect for either a whole podcast or a half a podcast. <laughs> and um, and then the other thing, I mean, my I, what little house cleaning. I'm a really terrible house cleaner, but what I do, it it takes place to podcasts. That's like my favorite thing is to uh, you know, after a, a dinner or something, to um, after everybody leaves, to just put on my headphones, listen to a podcast, and clean up the kitchen. That's to me, that's how I get my listening done.
0: (laughs) I tried listening to a podcast once during beekeeping and it was really stressful.
1: Yeah. Oh, I could
0: put on something relaxing to listen to while I'm doing my work here today. And it was not good. I've just like realized when I'm doing my bee work, I just need to be focused on what they're saying and not what the radio is saying.
1: I totally agree. I can't even listen to music out there because it just, it's just enough of a distraction um, that, it, you know, it, it's just different. I have to turn it off. I've tried a few times just for fun to listen to music, but um, I, I i need to be paying attention. And um, what I find, I mean, that's been the greatest blessing about getting some experience. And so I'm 10 years in which I feel like is at the um, intermediate beginner stage. <laughs> it's, it's like the first five years is beginner, beginner. Yeah. And then, you're, you know, then you're into uh, um, intermediate beginner. So the, the, probably for the next, you know, from years five to 15, that's intermediate beginner. Um, but but I would I, I found the greatest gift of having some experience is, you know, opening a hive, pulling out a frame, and just instantly having a feeling either, man, look at they are rocking, look at that brood pattern, you know, look at that population, or just have that instantly something's not right here. And then you have to start figuring out what it is. But that has been the both the hardest thing to convey and I and I don't know when it happened. It's kinda like seeing queens. Yeah. You know, for I, the- I
0: think it is different for everybody and different for how many hives you have and how many hives you're able to interact with you know even outside of your own apiary I feel like I've been very lucky because I've had opportunities to work with a lot of other hives that aren't my own and then my own and so that has helped me sort of dial in on that intuition yes but there's obviously I'm just going into my fifth year so I'm still new but I do feel lucky that I've gotten to get my hands into so many beehives.
1: Yes, yes. You're doing it in dog ears, you know, when you do it like <laughs> that. Yeah. That's what yeah. and that's um, and that's uh part of it is um I got just so fascinated with bees and so fascinated with the combination of a, you know, of a skill set that's, you know, very much like an agro, it's like gardening or something. There's a skill set that goes, but then these just, um, I mean, they share with gardening and farming. You know, you're total, you're totally at the pleasure of the weather, and you're at the pleasure of, you know, whether they swarm and all these things. So that interaction of the skill and the and the intuitive part, um, which you know some would say is kind of woo, and some would say it's it's just experience. I mean, because I'm a registered nurse, and there's a whole thing about you know, among registered nurses. And this is why you want an experienced nurse if you're in the hospital. It, you know, when you've done it for that many years, you look at the patient and you're like, something's not right here. And and it's like the numbers may not be going wrong yet. Um, but those older nurses, they've just, like you said, they've seen so much that they know something is off, um, even if it's not numerically quantifiable at the, at the moment. And so, um, you know, I've heard physicians say that over time at first they were like yeah whatever the numbers are fine but over time they begin to take notice if a, if an experienced solid uh pro nurse says something's not right here they you know will relook so so to me that is um is is so much like the bees it just at some point when you're looking around in there these little bells go off in your head. And even, even sometimes, you know, you still don't, you can't exactly put your finger on it. And then other times the great relief, and this is what I would say to beginners, you know, the great relief about year four or so, again, if you're doing it fairly regular is you just have a sense of confidence in what you're seeing, you know, that if they look good, then you can feel good about it. But when I was a beginner, you know, I would just be worried sick over, you know, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a speck in the corner of this comb. What could that be? You know, I'm taking a (laughs) photograph, I'm Googling it, I'm sending it to my mentor going, is this okay? (laughs) And she's like, oh my God, it's like a leaf off a tree, Get out, you know, whatever. So, um, that it's nice to get to where there's less, um, fear (laughs) in the inspections, um, and, and more, it becomes just a fascination. Um, my partner says that it's like, she, she says that all the people who are just love bees are the same people who like love something like chess. It's like there's so many moving parts and you're thinking on three different levels. You know, and I, I, I don't like chess, but um, I love bees. <sighs>
0: There's some queens there, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <You've> got, yes, <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, and they have some weird moves. So, yep, yeah. Yep, so.
0: What are some of the most common questions that you get from your listeners?
1: Um, I have to say, I, I love my listeners. And I guess because I've been enough of a curmudgeon on the podcast, they <laughs> know. <laughs> I think they must know because I'm like – I'm like, do not roll into your first bee meeting and ask what, what is brood. We, right. Y- right. Um, you know, you, you have got to put your back into it. And that's what I've had some discussions with beekeepers talking about mentoring, about really resetting the expectation. I mean, there are a lot of people that believe, <laughs> first of all, that the mentor is going to be thrilled to take you on. <laughs> and, um, and, and then that they just believe they're going to just open their head and you're just going to pour out, you know, all this stuff in there. And as opposed to um, a person, and I'll tell you, this is like the the few people that I have mentored because I really am a a curmudgeon. Um, How I, how I um, basically picked them and agreed to mentor was what I, I saw this pattern of that. They had a question and they had already put some research into it. They had tried their best to figure it out. And then they were asking and they understood enough of the context to ask the right questions. And that's what I'm like, okay, this person, I want to help any way I can Mm because they've got what it takes because it really, I just, when I see that kind of initiative, um, then in, in our club, you know, we're really trying to, um, those people, particularly young people, um, that show that kind of initiative, we're trying to get them whatever they need, get them whatever support they need. And um, because, because there's a lot of, I I don't know, it's, it's like spectator beekeepers, you know, that um, they come over to a mentor's house, and it's like they're watching a YouTube. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I think that, you know, people learning that it is a really it is an active sport and if you are going to be good at it you got to jump in there and um i i got luck, again i got lucky that the the woman who introduced me to beekeeping was a friend and um i had just kind of made friends with her in arkansas and she mentioned she had bees and i'm like i mean just out of the blue was it, there was something went off in my head that you know i could tell, even though i hadn't thought about it and i'm like oh I would like to see that. I would like to be up close and see that because when I was a kid, um, there was a a neighborhood fellow a couple doors down who had bees, but he was also famous for being a curmudgeon and being really mean. So I was scared to go over there and and talk to him. (laughs) Mr. Lovell, Uh, but Mr.
0: Lovell, if you're listening, (laughs) that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was like a thousand year old in the
1: 70s, right? So, but, um, but I, you know, but that was the only um, exposure really to beekeeping that I can recall. And, um, and then when my friend said it, everything was just like, oh, I I want to see this, and I will never forget. She was doing spring checks, and she had only been in a few years, so she she had her mentor who um, was this kind of locally famous beekeeper that nobody could get to, to mentor them, but he had taken a shine. She was just the right kind of Ozarker and he had taken a shine to her. So there he was. So there was this kind of famous beekeeper, my friend, and um, they were doing just spring first spring checks. And um, I just remember her popping that lid and, you know, I'm kind of looking over, she had put me in a bee suit and everything. And um, the smell rose out of that. And I just remember thinking that is the smell of heaven. That is the best thing I have ever smelled in my life. And so uh, from then on, it was like it was it was a done deal. (laughs) But she um, she's uh, she has two young boys and she didn't have time to come over and hold my hand, you know, so she was very generous on the phone. And then a few times, like, you know, a few (laughs) catastrophes that I had, she would come over But as a, as a mentor, she had things, she didn't touch my hives. She said, okay, do this. Okay. Look at that. What do you say? You know, she was completely hands-off. She stood there with me, Mm -hmm. but I had to do it all. And I remember, I remember first being very disappointed about that. I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? You're not going to show me how to do it. And she was like, no, do it. (laughs) And we'll talk through it. And so that was, um, you know, that was the first thing, but I'll, it was the smell that, got me and it's been I've been obsessed ever since and and then of course now you know since then I found out that um, what I was smelling I mean of course there's wax and nectar and all that but um but the smell of propolis is like my personal catnip and uh I will just take little chunks of it and I'll just have it on my desk at work and just pick it up and smell it sometimes you know uh to um so it is that's the most amazing smell in the world
0: I keep a jar of wax and Freshly drawn comb, rendered wax, honey, crystallized honey, comb honey, and propolis and pollen. I get these little jars that I bring when I go and do educational tabling events. And I always have people smell them because, you know, it is such a sensory experience when you're working with these and the the propolis jar people either love it or they're super offended, That's
1: interesting, by it. so it is like catnip, yeah, 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 or like yeah. cilantro, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yes. well, the thing that I have um I love to do when we've had guests, our friends visiting from out of state is if I could go out to the hives and uh get if I have some um just comb honey that has just nectar in it that's not fully ripe and it's still warm and you just bite into that. And it is like, it's like you experience a flower, you know? So um, that's one of those other things that can, you know, lure people in once they've had that, they just can't, you know, then they're forever captured (laughs) by the bees.
0: In my backyard, I have hives with observation Mm. windows and my hives are pointed right at my neighbor's backyard and he has a big deck and he entertains a lot. And I will sometimes be in my backyard and he'll be having a party or something. And I can hear people commenting about the bee traffic. Cause that sometimes I can have like five to six active colonies in that space, all pointed over his deck. So it's a lot of flight traffic and he'll be like, Hey, Amanda, are you, are you, are you out there? Yeah. He's like, they have some questions and they'll come over Oh, that's come into hard. my backyard and uh-huh. we'll walk over and I'll open up the observation windows and they can look at the bees. So when they first come in, they're like, Ooh, you know, this is really dangerous. And like, how can you have these bees here? And they're going to sting everybody. But then they come in and they look at the bees through the window. And then I talk to them a little bit and then they're like, Wow. That's so cool. It's like a total perspective. It is. Change. It
1: is. And so that's one of the funnest things. And of course, you know, your spouse just kind of rolls their eyes where you're like, oh, we're going to talk about bees yes. for the next, yeah, you know, right again. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you get that thing where you're driving up to dinner at somebody's house and it's like, can we please not talk about bees? And I'm like, okay. I will, but I said, but you know, if I'm asked a question, I must respond. But I will not bring up bees. Um, But
0: well, and it's hard. And when people find out that you're a beekeeper, they're like, "What is that all about?" Like, tell me everything. And it's kind of
1: amazing um, how people just have no idea. They have no idea about how the whole thing works. And, and so, and and they're fascinated and they just have this love for it, even they don't know uh, anything about it. And so I've loved that. And um, I sell honey in my neighborhood in the, in the little town that I'm nearest. And um, I love it when, especially people who've been to see the bees or uh, know where the hives are, the kind of ownership they take of that, you know, these are, these bees are an our valley. This honey is from our, va- it's really sweet, you know, to, um, <laughs> and then the other fun thing that's unsuspecting guests, I love to um, have a, a honey tasting. I try to keep it like your jars. I try to keep a jar of every variety that I've come up uh, that's really different. So like, um, I don't know, do y'all have basswood trees out there?
0: I am really terrible at plant and tree identification. Well,
1: listen, if you ever had, I'm going to try to, I don't have a lot of basswood it, for whatever reason. My Valley does not have a lot of basswood. And um, one of my mentors is like, yes, you do. You just don't know it's there. And I'm like, I would taste it. I would taste it. Cause it, it actually tastes minty. The honey tastes minty and um, like distinctly oh. minty. And so, but he in his Valley, which is just, over the mountain range. So we have, we live in identical valleys, just he's over the mountain range and he has a lot of, um, uh, basswood. And so people cannot believe that honey, it, and he separates it by floral varieties. Um, and so he could, I can buy. Pretty much straight up basswood, you know, close enough straight up basswood honey from him. So I, it's like I have a jar of that, it crystallizes really quick. So, and then um, I'll have a jar of uh, my summer honey, which we have a lot of sourwood in our area, which is really uh, delicious. And then there have been a few years this year, unfortunately, it wasn't 2019 was not one of them, but usually in the spring, my biggest uh, crop of honey comes off of tulip poplar trees. And I don't know if you've ever seen the tulip poplar flower. They're those, they're light green and they're, then they're orange in the middle and they have these little yellow, they're just light and beautiful. But the honey they produce is very, very dark and and pungent and fabulous. And some people say kind of molasses-y, but I say, no, that is not molasses flavor. So, but that's one of my favorite honeys. And um, for some reason this year we didn't have that, but so I try to line up these different kinds of honeys and that's, a great I think educational thing because people will be blown away they'll be like oh my god I had no idea that honey could taste di-. you know because they've eaten store honey right and what does that taste like I don't know what that is
0: <laughs> yeah it's all the same and it's super sweet and it just doesn't have I know.
1: like at the hospital cafeteria they have these little packets character. like ketchup packets <laughs> of honey and so I was like I wonder what kind of you know I tasted it I'm like, that doesn't even taste, that doesn't resemble any honey that I have ever tasted out of an actual hive. I don't know what it is. So, but yeah, so stage in the honey testings. And so my friend, a young friend of mine who is, um, who's just starting a, a queen rearing company in our, in our area. I'm so excited about that. Um, so you'll be interviewing her soon, but um, she went to Michelle, she went to Colombia recently. She has family there and she brought back these tiny little jars of Colombian honey. and. Again, like really floral, just very heady floral um, taste. And then there was a creamed honey that was unlike any creamed honey I've ever had. It was as smooth as butter. It was so smooth. And she said that the lady who sold it uh, would grind the seed crystals. So now I'm all fascinated. And, you know, how would you do that?
0: I just made some creamed honey, and I I have these jars from my last year's harvest, and they all crystallize really nicely, and I just, I put it in my KitchenAid mixer with the paddle attachment, and I mixed it on medium, and I kept stopping it to, like, scrape the bowl and scrape the bottom and scrape the paddle to make sure there were no larger crystals that were getting stuck in it, and I had it in the mixer for probably 20 25 minutes. And um here I have a little bit here I can show you. I'm happy with it and I'm testing it as a seed for another jar of honey, but I don't know. Oh, it's beautiful. It came out wow. A really pretty color. Um and it's really smooth and like I along the way when I was making it, I would stop every time I scraped and like taste the the texture to see if it was smooth or not. So I'm happy with it. That's I hope exciting. that it's
1: yeah, I don't works. understand. I mean I don't understand how one crystal makes another crystal like that crystal.
0: And it's weird because I've watched some videos on it. Uh, but one of the one of the videos that I watched the guy was like, if there's any large crystal remaining in in the liquid honey or even in the the seed honey that you're making it with. It, the batch wow. will be ruined. It won't, it won't cream. It's, I don't understand why, but he's like, you just have to make sure you don't have any large crystals. Otherwise that's what will, it. it will crystallize like that rather than.
1: Wow. So you're taking cr- honey that's already crystallized, grinding it down and then giving it some seed honey. And then in theory it turns in.
0: And then using, wow. using it as a seed in some liquid honey. And you're supposed to heat the liquid honey to make sure that okay. there are no like crystals forming in it at all. Um, and then you have to hold it at a temperature, I think 57 degrees is what they said, for a few weeks.
1: That is fascinating. Yeah, I want to find out about that because I had never tasted cream honey because I would look at it and I'm like that doesn't look so good. It is so delicious and so delicious to spread on anything. <laughs> Your finger, a spoon. <laughs> so, um I am totally <laughs> wanting to learn to do that.
0: Right. I do want to find out before we say goodbye like what is the future for beekeeping at Five Apple Farms?
1: Well, the thing I have going on right now um I'm just trying it is I'm doing a series of episodes that are kind are like b school b school radio is what I'm calling it, and it's very clearly not a standalone thing it's it's the um it's kind of the deep cuts after you get home from real b school but what I find what I've seen in a lot of B schools and how the one I went to first was, was taught, but mine was also, it was, they had an overflow crowd. So it was January in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and they moved us to the livestock show arena. So it was about, you know, 45 degrees and you're, you know, it was crazy, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, um, but anyway, I, it seems like they, a lot of B schools, you know, they're trying to, you know, convey this world, of information. And it, and it so comes across as just this pile of discombobulated facts and figures and numbers and terminology and equipment. And um so what I want, the part that I would like to contribute to, it, you know, a lot of people probably have B-Schools where they really put it all together. But for those of us who didn't or don't, um to, to put the things, the kind of connection, because I, I happen to be a, a learner that I can't learn anything unless I understand the big picture. So if you give me 10 details and don't tell me how these things fit together and work, they never stick. I mean, it's just like, it's like Teflon in the <laughs> brain it just slides right off. But if you tell me first, this is how this all fits together. Then when I hear those little factoids, you know, my brain is like, oh, okay, this goes here and this goes here. I'm real structural. And so that's what I want in the the B-School episodes. I'm talking um, as if to a total utter beginner who's in B-School and trying to give them some alternative ways to look at the information they're getting from their B-School Um, And, and to put it together, uh, like, for example, the thing, and, and I would like to develop a whole class um, on this, the, the idea of, um, of the, the, the high, the colony's life cycle. Once I kind of understood the life cycle of the, you know, that they're either in expansion mode or contraction mode, you know, they're never just there. And I think in the modern world, so many of our objects, you know, they're just there and they're just on pause until we come back to them or whatever. And so, but this is a, you know, this is a living system. So they, they have their own thing. They have their own goal going on at any given time and understanding what that goal is, you know, so so when I see on those Facebook groups, you know, it's, it's late October and somebody's like, can I make a split? And I'm like, oh. you know, just somebody shoot me. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's like if you're in Texas, I don't know, maybe. But, you know, if you're probably in most of the U.S. it. But, but to me, what that shows is that lack of understanding of what part of the seasonal life cycle of that colony is that hive in. And once you learn that, um, then it's this context. It's like in gardening, you know, if it's February and there's snow on the ground, no, you don't plant tomatoes. Okay. Like, right. I mean, most, I mean, most people really get that, that there's seas, there's times of the year you do things in the garden and there's times of year that it would be stupid to do those things. But for some reason, to me, that's a thing I, a missing piece I see is that understanding of, um, first of all, whatever I'm seeing, let me place that. It's like, I, I don't know those, um, the art that's the wheel of the year, those Uh beautiful, you know, um, I mean, to me, if I were an artist, I would love to paint the wheel of the year in, in bees to sort of visually represent, you know, they are building up, um, until summer solstice and then everything's different, you know, and they're, um, they, they, it may be a hundred degrees outside and sunny and hot and everything, you know, tomatoes are growing great, but That that light chains has shifted, you know what they're aiming to do, and even though of course there's tricks we can play on them to get, you know, to like raise queens or to get them to do things we want them. But um, I think for beginners to just always first place themselves: where is this colony at in its yearly seasonal cycle, and that then would be the the context to ask whatever question. So it eliminates, you know, if you just place yourself in their life cycle that year um it eliminates you know 80% of the dumb questions that you could ask in your own head you know because it answers so many things um so that's the part i really want to emphasize and teach and actually i'm if i get it together that's the next episode i've done one episode um already and uh <laughs> and so i thought i would be cute and i would be like do you have what it takes to make it as a beekeeper you know and um And so basically the gist was, you know, are you prepared to learn tons of stuff? Are you prepared to be scared and nervous and hot and tired and um, confused and frustrated? And, you know, are you prepared for all this? And I think I may have been too tough because I I think I upset some people, (laughs) you know, but it's, and so I talked to a beekeeping friend. I'm like, "I, I think I probably just scared, you know, half the people off of beekeeping. And she was like, good. Because if, if just hearing how hard it is was too hard, then just save them the money and save mm-hmm. some mentor the heartache, you know, of, you've got to be prepared that yeah. it's not an easy, it's not a, um, that whole idea and that, um, uh, Tina Sebastian, who writes so beautifully in, uh, America Bee Journal and Bee Culture, she had an article recently where she said, um you know, so many people go into it thinking they're just going to set this pretty hive in their garden and then they're just going to go check on it now and then and it's going to be so fun. And um, it's not. And so I, I was trying to, I was trying to get real. Like I said, I, I think I hurt some people's feelings, but you know, I, I told them, I'm like, look, it, it doesn't matter if you're good at it. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. It doesn't matter if it's hard, if you're a natural, if you're not a natural, if you're baffled, if you just stick with it you can become a good beekeeper. That was yes. the message I wanting yes. to share. <laughs> but, but um the other one that I really want to work on is the seasonality and understanding that um as just a basis for understanding where the, where that colony is at any given time.
0: So people can find you at beekeeping at five apple farms. You're on all the big players.
1: I don't know how that happens, but they seem to appear hosted at Podbean and then it seems to have spread itself around. But yes, Yes. um, that's um, so people can subscribe wherever they are.
0: And you're on Patreon too.
1: Yes, yes. I'm trying, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, you know, if when you want to do those experiments, it's not cheap. So um, I've been delighted that um, actually a listener was like, you know, I want to send you money, which is something I've never, I'm like okay. But um, you know, it's, it's $4. So let's not get carried away. But, um, but um, that, it, that's been fun because it's a place that helps me kind of narrow down. It's like the people that are, well, you know, the people that are willing to support you on Patreon, they have a special place in your heart and Mm -hmm. you're going to answer their questions and you're going to try to help them because obviously they're committed um, to that. So,
0: well, it's been so much fun to talk to you and oh, great to
1: talk to you. I
0: hope you'll come back on the show sometime.
1: And I want to check in with you and have you on the podcast and just find out what you're doing and what you're seeing Yay. out in your place because it's so, so beautiful out there.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> I'm, All I am right. aching for spring.
1: Oh, me too. Me too. And it's, we've had these kind of like a couple of like, you know, faux spring days. And I just walk around. Oh, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Right. Just stay, stay, stay tough. You can make it. So, yeah. But I have to tell you, Mandy, if you don't have an observation hive in your house. um, I don't.
0: Oh oh (laughs) my gosh.
1: I have one. It's right over there. And, um, oh my gosh, I just, I was taking pictures and sending them to a bee friend today going, oh my gosh, it's the middle of winter. And in my observation hive, Queen Stubby, it's a long story. So (laughs) Queen Stubby, has made her first brood nest. She's probably ahead of everybody outside. Wow. Yeah, but she, yeah. And so there's two frames. There's, you know, it's vertical. So there's one frame above the other. Well, the lower frame is very dark wax. It's an old frame. And the upper frame is was a, a honey frame. So it's very bright white wax. Well, so the capped brood on that older frame, the cappings are like a dark tan. And the capped brood on the upper frame are just bright you know, creamy white. So I took a picture of him and I'm like I have n- it's like every observation in the observation hive creates a whole new set of questions. Like so, you know, does that mean that for the capping, I had never thought, where does capping's wax come from in the winter? And I mean, I still don't know, but it what it looks like is it looks like they're repurposing some wax off that frame. I mean, it doesn't appear to be any missing, but it's like why would that be? Why would the color be radically different in the same Patch yeah. of brood, yeah. spread over two frames, so I love it, and um it has been the best thing for winter beekeeper stress I have ever um highly recommend so <laughs> I'll send you pictures
0: I've been having the the anxiety dream, like I had the one where all my bees were dead. oh no, <laughs> and then my career was over because of it, and then I had a new one. Where I got stung, like, on the ankle or something, and I could see anaphylaxis running up my body. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that is I know.
1: I know That is terrifying. I have a good friend who, after years of never having a problem you know, she got stung and had, and had to be helicoptered to the big hospital and, and, oh but God. this is a determined person. So she, she, after all that, she went and took the series of allergy injections Yeah. and, and then she was beekeeping and like the full out, I mean, head to toe, you know, she was covered, but, um, she got stung, um, and she wasn't even in the bees. It was like a bizarre thing and she didn't react. And so she's, you know, hopeful. I mean, she doesn't take any chances, but that's dedicated when you've been on the helicopter and you still are like (laughs) I know but that's a terrifying there's been a couple of times when when I was just in a t-shirt something and took you know several mini stings all of a sudden and of course I'm like okay am I breathing is is my airway constricted do I feel you know just (laughs) that kind of thing you ask out in the middle of the field like am I breathing normally do I feel clammy (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. I always get that anxiety response. And I have Benadryl and EpiPens with me always. Smart. Just in case. But like one time, I got stung on the hand twice and I had a rash up by my shoulder.
1: And I was like, oh,
0: God, no. And I took a Benadryl and then it went away. And then. Yeah, I know. That was my last stinging incident of 2019. So now I'm like. Oh, I gotta get stung. I gotta make sure it's okay,
1: (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I know. I, 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 in the season, I really like to get stung a couple times a month. I mean, it's based in no fact whatsoever, but it just psychologically, I feel like if I just get stung not a ton, but regularly, that I'll be okay. It's a so yeah, I like to get those, um, get those, and and I, I, I feel I usually get stung on my left hand because I have my hive tool in my right hand, and so. I swear there's no arthritis in this hand, but yet this hand is creaky. So I need to start wearing, you know, to try to reverse it and get, because I just don't have the guts to pick up a bee and sting myself. Yeah, I just can't yeah. do it, you know? So, but um, yeah. So. Oh, I could talk to you forever, Mandy. It's so fun. <laughs> I know.
0: Well, thank you, Lee. Thank Thank you. you.
1: I love your podcast. I watch. I, you know, if I'm starting to drive while I'm still got the wireless, I look. I'm like, has Mandy uploaded what, you know, so that I can listen? So keep up the great work.
0: Every two weeks. All right. I love
1: it. All right. Thanks.
0: I'll talk with you soon.
1: Okay. Bye bye.
0: Bye. You can find Lee's podcast, Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm, on all the major players, plus on Facebook and Patreon at Lee at 5 Apple Farm. If you've been enjoying the show, consider liking and sharing us on social media or even leaving us a review on iTunes. If you want to go even further to support the work that we do here, consider becoming a patron like Andre Zumsteg and Bo's Bees. I also want to thank listener Bo Graham for sharing some audio enhancement techniques with me Sorry, Bo. I wore a lapel mic during today's interview, and it was totally rubbing on my shirt. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is a Waggleworks production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.
1: They'll ask a question. Oh, I hear your dog bark. I was wondering when mine would start barking.
0: Yes, there's somebody walking across the street. So everybody, stop the show. (laughs) My my dog sees movement (laughs) outside. Right. Oh, my God.